We're going to start in Proverbs 11. So if you go to Proverbs 11 with me, we're walking through the book of Proverbs and we've been talking about the wisdom that Proverbs has for our everyday lives. Today, I'm just going to tell you right up front, today my goal is this. I want us to get to the place at the end of this where we are inspired by the generosity of our God toward us. That's, that's to sum up. In fact, I could close the word and we could read the verse and be done. That's all I want to accomplish today in the time that we share together. There are so many times in the word of God where the topic of generosity comes up. It is so overwhelmingly clear. It's almost embarrassing that it's not as overwhelmingly clear in Christianity as it is in the word of God that is our source of authority and the place from which we learn how to live. We sometimes don't embrace it. We sometimes dance around the topic of money and wealth and, and, and giving. But I think this, I think one of the main reasons that the church in America struggles to reach the lost in America is because of a neglect of this idea. It's a very biblical idea, and it's a very somehow intuitively connected idea. The world around us may not understand what it means to follow Jesus. They may not understand all the ins and outs of what it means to be a Christian, but they at least know this. If we say that we believe in Jesus Christ, we should get this right. This should be primary. This should be a normal, regular, identifiable part of what it means to be those who follow Jesus Christ. So let me kind of give you like some scenarios and get this in your head. Maybe you're a generous person. That's an awesome thing. But let me see if perhaps there's a challenge for us today in what the Word of God has to say about generosity. If tomorrow you found out through some circumstance, through some accident, through some quirk, that you had suddenly won $100 million. I'm just going to let that sink in for a second. What would you do with that? Oh, what wouldn't I do? I would do everything with that. Okay, well, let's get practical just for a second. You'd probably start off by paying off some debt. It probably says something about us as Americans that if we won the lottery, the first thing we would do is pay off debt, right? But probably you do that. Then maybe you would travel some, go see some places that you hadn't seen. And, but before too long, and maybe even before either of those things, our thoughts would turn to, you know, well, okay, so now I've I got $100 million, Now I have $99.5 million. What am I going to do with the rest of this? pretty soon you would get to the idea of, you know what? I should give some of this away, right? I got more money than I know what to do with. There are people around the world who are suffering. I know that I, because I've been given this great wealth, I probably have the responsibility and I definitely have the opportunity to help out those who are less fortunate. I'm wondering if we have to wait until we win $100 million to grab a hold of that. Is it valuable? Valuable to be thoughtfully generous with what we have right now, even if it's not $100 million. And maybe more pointedly, do I have to wait until I've exhausted my own needs and my own wants before I turn to generosity? Maybe God will challenge us today. So are you rich? What if I told you that tomorrow you're going to be making enough, somehow in your job your salary is going to be adjusted so that you will be making enough to be in the top 20% of earners in the world. In the top 20% of all the world's earners, you're going to be in the top 20%.
Is it now time to be generous if you're in the top 20%? Okay, well, maybe not. Maybe 20%, you, you know, there's only 80% of the people that are more, in more need than you, so maybe, maybe it's not time to be generous yet. How about if you're in the top 90%? How about if you, the, the top 10%, like 90% of people are less than you, you make in what the top 10% of all people in the world make? Time to be generous yet? How about if top 5%? 95% of the people in the world make less than you, top 5%. Here's a punch in the face. If you make more than $37,000 a year, you are in the top 4% of the incomes of the world. It's all relative. I mean, really, the reality is for us, we go, well, $37,000, how am I even going to make ends meet? There are people that live on $2,000 a year. It's all relative. When do we stop wishing and hoping and planning so that more money will solve my life's problems and then I'll have get around to being what the Bible asks me to be, generous. It is a theme in the Word of God over and over again about sacrifice, about generosity. Certainly it applies to what we give to the church. And if you aren't generous in that, you should be. There's an investment that we are called to make every single one of us in some way. Even if our ability to be generous is small, we are still called to be generous. But the primary point about what we're going to talk about today is not about giving to church. The primary point is about giving to people, people who are in need, brothers and sisters in Christ who find themselves in times of need. Where is our heart towards that? And is it all that it should be? Or does God want to stretch us there some way? As a church, we are working on some ways we can help our church be better at meeting needs and sharing with one another so that we can face the needs we have together as a church. But I'm going to say this to you. This idea of generosity just does not apply only to your brothers and sisters in Christ. It applies to those who are outside of the church, those who don't love Jesus, those who actually hate Jesus. The call to generosity is even for them. Did you know that? That's why Jesus said, bless those who curse you. Wow. So if someone thinks you're an idiot for following Jesus and they fall into financial struggle... What should be your heart? Well, serves you right. (laughs) Isn't that where we go? We have a calling, and it is not dependent on how people respond to us. Really, when it gets all the way down to it, it's dependent on recognizing that our God, that we serve, that we follow, that we are children of, is an outstandingly generous God. And we as His children are called to follow Him. And so, in Proverbs 11, we're going to just pick a few verses out here. Start with me at verse 24. We're going to look at how generosity is described here. And we're going to look how it's kind of described as a paradox. Something that doesn't quite make sense on the surface, but as you dig deeper in your soul, you know this paradox is true. Here's what it says, verse 24. One person gives freely, yet gains even more. Another person withholds unduly, but comes to poverty. A generous person will prosper. Whoever refreshes others will be refreshed. People curse the one who hoards grain, but they pray God's blessing on the one who is willing to sell. 
Do you see the, the contrast there? Do you see the way that, that generosity kind of like goes against our natural human survival instinct? Common sense says what you should do with your money is this, but when you dig a little bit deeper, you find that this is what God calls us to do. So as we start, it says this, one person gives freely, it gains even more. Now, sometimes people think this. Well, and you hear this sometimes in churches, that if you will give freely, you will get a lot of money. What I want to say to you right up front is this. I am not prescribing a recipe for you to get rich. (laughs) And the Bible is not prescribing a recipe for you to get rich. Well, good. I'm supposed to give, and then I'm going to get a lot. What happens when you give and and you don't find a financial windfall? Well, I guess it didn't work. I guess God's calling wasn't what I thought it was. That's not what he's saying here. So if that's what you're hearing, let me just say that's not what it is. But the idea of giving freely is something that just is counter to our understanding. If I feel like I don't have enough to meet my needs, to take care of me, it is really a struggle for me to be sensitive to and open to giving freely to others. And yet what it says is one person gives freely and gains even more. And the other person withholds. Now that sounds like what you should do. If you're struggling financially, you should withhold. You should gather. You should save. You should hold on to it. Because you need it. But it says one person withholds and comes to poverty. And so there's this counterflow of what we would normally think of. The word gives freely is the word for scatters. And it's a word that's used for when a, a person would go out to sow seed. They would, they would throw it out by hand. But this scatters, this gives freely idea, is someone who was reckless in their sowing of seed. They would just kind of throw it every which way, not worried about where it landed. They're just throwing seed out, gives freely. It's describing that giving that's not strategic to somehow bringing me benefit. If If I give my money here, then I get this. If I throw my seed here, then I know I'll get... It's not strategic. There's no master plan. It's to scatter, it's to just throw it around. But somehow... This seemingly careless scattering brings back even more. Very unlikely thing if you're in an agricultural society to think if you're careless with where you put your seed that you're going to get more than you would if you were very careful with where you got your seed. But the point that the Proverbs is making here is that there is this sense of letting go instead of holding on. And it is a pathway in Proverbs to wisdom. I wonder if it's wisdom that you and I embrace. With money, it feels like foolishness to to scatter money. Yet Proverbs says it's wise and a great investment. And and in this passage, it's not giving to your friends. It's not giving to something you like. Like it's just giving to wherever the need is. Where's the need? I will give freely there. Whether I know that person or not, I will give freely there. The next verse kind of reiterates it. A generous person will prosper. Whoever refreshes others will be refreshed. The same idea comes up. Prosper. The word prosper there is literally the word to make fat. Now, I know you don't want to be made fat, so uh, we're not talking about you know, literal fatness, but the idea of the time was that prosperity was equated with people who had enough to eat all the time, and so they were considered prosperous, and you could look at them and tell them that they were wealthy because they were larger than other people. Normal people did not have the luxury of overeating. They were surviving. 
And so those who could overeat, they obviously were rich. And so the idea here is a generous person, one who gives away, will be made fat. They will have plenty to eat, satisfy more than just basic needs. The rich were those who always had more than enough. And all the others look around, look, looking at them, all the normal people would be kind of envious of that person's ability to not worry about where's my next meal coming from? How am I going to eat tomorrow? The idea of refreshes takes not the food part, but the water part. It's a picture of having water to drink when you're really thirsty, refreshing others. And so as we talk about finances, what we're talking about is there are hungry people around you. There are thirsty people around you. God has placed them, if you're looking at this in a bigger picture, God has placed them in financial need. Now, why would God do that? Have you ever asked yourself that question? Why would God bump you into somebody who has financial need? Huh. It must be so that you can pray for them, right? Maybe. But is there an opportunity there that we have walled ourselves off from that we shouldn't? Are there people that if they found themselves in need, you would be struggling to help them? Because of something, because you have an idea that generosity is linked to how I feel about you, as opposed to how I feel about him. When do we stop responding just to people, and when do we fully commit to being followers of God that say, God, no matter what you do, no matter what you ask us to do, we're going to follow you. We're going to respond to you. And so wisdom is demonstrated by someone who's generous with money even could be seen as careless and foolish, but is actually, in Proverbs, someone who is wise, someone who will prosper, maybe not financially, but in the ways that matter. The last verse is a different kind of spin on that. People curse the one who hoards grain, but they pray God's blessing on the one who's willing to sell. Now, if you had a bunch of grain, everybody had some grain in that time because you had to have grain to to make bread and to live and all that. But there were some people who were wealthy that had more grain. And when everybody else's grain ran out, they were the ones who had leftover grain, right? So they would hoard it. They, They would hold it to themselves. That's the picture here. People curse the one who hoards grain. So what the picture is, is there are people who are in need around you. You have enough to share and you refuse. You say, no, this is for me. I'm sorry for you, but this is for me. It doesn't have to be belligerent. It doesn't have to be arrogant. It doesn't have to be nasty. It's just, no, this is for me. I'm going to hold on to this stuff. And so there's this hoarding of grain. If you had this grain, why would you hold it back from other people? And it's not about, in this passage, in this verse, it's not about giving it away. It's about selling it. Did you see that? They, they pray God's blessing on the one who sells it. So it's not about, I'm giving it to you for free. It's hoarding, not refusing to even sell it to other people. What is that about? Well, that's about the fact that I have an advantage over you. You need grain, I have grain. And so I can let it trickle out and I can inflate the price. I can create more demand because I have the supply and therefore I can profit. And so there's this idea here of someone who has the ability to help someone else, maybe, yes, for sure, at their own expense and maybe at their own peril, but to help other people who are in need and holds it back needlessly. 
This grain, by the way, on a special note here, the grain here is processed grain. In other words, they're not going out to harvest. They've already done the work. They've grown it. They've planted it. They've harvested it. They've separated it. They've got it ready to be used. Sometimes the argument is, well, I'm the one who put all the work in it. Shouldn't I be the one who profits from it? And that idea is, has merit, has, but here's what the Bible says. When you see people in need, it is your calling if you have the ability to help them. Now, I'm not saying you are the answer to every person you bump into, but I'm saying, do you have a radar for what God is saying to your soul? Or do we just always presume it's not supposed to be me? Is our generosity to the place where it should be and where God wants it to be? Or have we become really good at sidestepping the conviction of the Holy Spirit because I've got all my excuses already written out? Why do you think you are probably in the top 10% or the top 5% of the earners in the world? Have you ever asked yourself that question? Is it because you're just a better person than 95% of the people in the world? Or maybe, just maybe, is it because God entrusted you with stuff that he wanted to use on behalf of others? And maybe he has a reason he wanted you to be the one to share it with them. Because maybe there's a message beyond just meeting their physical needs that needs to get expressed. Wouldn't that be awesome? Wouldn't that be just like God? To take something as mundane as money and turn it into something as eternal as life. Wouldn't that be like God? And so there's this group of people that have the opportunity and what they take is the opportunity to inflate their profits. They let the needs of others fill their wallets. The generous person, on the other hand, is more concerned with seeing why God has given them this opportunity and they choose to take the blessings God has given to them and spread it to others. They believe it is better for many to benefit from their harvest than just for them to benefit. So that's the challenge. The challenge is, what do you do with the blessings that you have? Maybe you don't feel very blessed because life is heavy and you've got a fearful situation going on right now or a hard situation, so you don't feel blessed. And I get it. We're humans. We all understand that. But let me just invite you for just a few seconds to consider that perhaps you are blessed. Maybe even take a second or two and count some of those blessings. And if you count them, how many of those are just for you? And how many of those are ones that God gave you to give you the chance to pass it on? How would I know? Have we ever asked? Do you find yourself always using your blessings for you? Or are there regular opportunities for you to be generous and wise? I would say this. If God makes it so clear in the word of God, this principle of generosity, this principle of charity, this principle of love and sharing with other people, if he makes it so clear in the word of God, do you think that he said for your life, it doesn't apply? For your life, everything I give you is for you. Or you think maybe we've been missing it a little bit. I read something this morning that just, it kind of like shocked me. It said that when Jesus was on earth and and, and the four gospels written about his life, the stuff that got recorded about what Jesus said, there is seven times more that Jesus said about money and giving and greed than what he said about heaven and hell. Wow. And sometimes he connects them. 
It's easier for a rich man, you know, for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. It seems like one of the things that in Jesus' ministry came to the front was this idea that if you don't have the right relationship with money, it will be a spiritual barrier for you to having the kind of faith you need that will bring you life. The call to generosity is a call to freedom. It's a call to life. It's a call to let you be loosed from the entanglements that keep us from the kind of faith and the kind of trust that can give us life. And that is what would influence someone to live against our natural survival instinct by giving away what we could use and what we could store for the future to give it away. And so verse 28, jump down to that verse because there's a back, back on the same kind of a theme. It says this, those who trust in their riches will fall, but the righteous will thrive like a green leaf. This is the question that drives generosity. If you have struggled or you struggle with what we're talking about this morning, here's where you need to go. Here's where the the doctor would point your eyes. Right here. Who do you trust? What is your security in life? What the Bible says here is those who trust in riches will will fall. Most of us recognize immediately that our ultimate trust cannot be in money or riches. But the Bible makes it clear that there is a tendency, humanly speaking, especially if we have money, to trust in money. In the New Testament, Paul tells Timothy, tell those who are rich not to be arrogant. I'm sure you don't know any arrogant rich people. Not to be arrogant. And not to put their trust in money. Implying... If you have money, you have a tendency to see yourself as better than others, others who have less money. And if you have money, you tend to put your trust in it, sometimes without even realizing it. Sometimes you don't realize that your security, your hope for the future, your trust is in money until you start losing it. Until something comes up where God says, well, that money there, I'm going to remove it from you. It was a, there was a thing last year where we're kind of like in my face about that. And it was, you know, there was a circumstance that I couldn't control about what was going to happen to the money that God had given us because of some circumstance. And I had to get to the place where what I said is, well, it's God's money anyway. If he wants it to go to them, so be it. God can handle that. Now that's, sometimes God puts that financial stuff in your life just to help you Let go of it, right? Where is your trust? Is your trust in riches? How would you know? How would you know if your trust is in riches? Well, trusting in riches means that I feel like my future is either secure or failing because of my projected money. When you look forward at this week, at this month, at this year, at your retirement, at whatever... Do you define whether you're going to be okay or not by what you think you will have monetarily? Trusting in riches means my life is happy or heavy depending on whether I have enough money to pay my bills or get what I want. Your financial circumstances define your emotions. Trusting in riches means that whenever my financial circumstances change or seem to change, then my emotions go with them. When I have, you know, 
good prospects financially, I'm great. When I have bad prospects financially, I'm down. Well, isn't that normal? Yeah, that's normal, but it's not wise. Here's wise. Is God your security or is money your security? Hold on, because here's the deal. Is God the same God when you don't have money as when you do? So where should your security be whether you, wherever your money is? In other words, if my security is really in God, God's the same. So I, when I get a lot of money, I shouldn't feel on the top of the world. When I, get, when I lose a lot of money, I shouldn't feel down. Because God's exactly the same. What's that tell you? My security wasn't in God, was it? Because if my, when my security's in God, I'm stable. I'm at peace, I'm at rest, because God is exactly the same as you know, when I don't have a job and when I do have a job. God is still good when I have enough and when I don't have enough. God is still faithful when I have the money I think I need and when I don't have the money I think I need. God is still God, exactly the same. As believers, our invitation is to base our lives, to build our lives on that foundation. Solid rock, instead of clearly shifting sands. Now, the chapter we're reading and the whole context of the Word of God does not condemn making wise financial decisions. I'm not saying be foolish with your money, be stupid with your money. I'm just saying don't hold your money when God asks you to let it go because God is the one who gives it to you. Some of you are blessed beyond all imagination by God and have been given a knack for making money. But that doesn't determine whether you are bound to your money or not. It's not whether you have money or you don't have money. It's what you trust in that will show up because what you trust in will show up in how you give. The Bible's saying this, that how you give will determine for you as a, as a kind of a diagnostic technique, how am I with money? As a matter of fact, giving is the primary biblical way to keep us from being controlled and bound to our money. Choosing to let the Spirit be in control of us rather than letting our flesh get a hold of us. Giving. Now, what God does is He says, here's your flesh. I'm going to give you some, some blessings, some financial, some wealth, some possessions, some, some comfort, some luxury. I'm going to give them to you. Your flesh is going to want to hold on to them. But there are going to be times where by my Spirit I come and say, let go of that. And you're going to have to choose what's in charge. What has the final say? Your flesh, hold on, or the spirit, let go. What are you going to do when you get to that moment? And what he says is, here, those who trust in their riches will fall, but the righteous, meaning those who don't trust in their riches, will thrive. So you have this, the results of trusting in money or trusting in God is this leaf, and it's either green and alive and healthy, or it's falling, it's dead, it's dried up, it's lost its grip on meaningful life. So where is your trust today? How much trust do you put in money, in wealth, in possessions? And what is that doing to your soul? Last verse I want to look at is verse 30. um, Because it, it kind of gets down to very practical. What are you saving? Verse 30 says, The fruit of the righteous is a tree of life. And the one who is wise saves lives. We talk about money, we talk about savers and spenders. Are you a saver or are you a spender, right? Very rarely do you have somebody who's neither. You either think that, you know, the pathway of how should I manage my money? I should save, 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 save. 
If there's ever a financial problem, the answer is always save, right? Then there's other people who, the way they approach money is spend, 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 spend. Most of the time, you're married to each other. And then we talk about conflict and communication issues, right? And so there's these two ideas about savers and spenders. But here's the question Proverbs takes it to. Not about is saving money more wise or is spending money more wise, but what do you really want to save? What's worth your life? What's worth your time and your attention? Here's what it says. The one who is wise saves lives. What are you going to invest in? The, it says the fruit of the righteous is a tree of life. Fruit, meaning, you know, if you, plant, if you went out and planted a, an orange seed in the ground and it grew into an orange tree, eventually that tree would produce oranges, fruit. It's the final product of this whole product of being birthed out of the ground and growing and becoming productive. The final product is the fruit, right? So when it says the fruit of the righteous is a tree of life, it's talking about the final product of your life. All that you've invested in, all that you've built, all that you've done, all that you've grown into is producing some kind of fruit. The fruit of the righteous is a tree of life. Are you producing life or are you producing great returns on your money? Are you all about the percentage, the rate of return? Are you all about making sure that your balances are going up, up, up? That you've got some financial plan so that that you can live in ease and luxury for the rest of your life? Or are you producing life? Maybe God didn't give you your money so that you could feel secure in your plan. Maybe he gave you your money so you could produce life, so you could save lives. Saving money is fine, but what if there's something so much more valuable to save? The Bible says the wise save those who are dying. The the language is more literally about rescuing those who are in danger, saving lives. And it certainly can be applied to saving lives physically. The wise save lives. And so there are people in our world today who are struggling to live. The wise take what God has given them and pour it out in a way that helps people survive on this earth. But that's just a taste of what the wise really do. Because the wise wise don't just stop at saving someone's physical life. The wise are interested and invested in saving people's eternal life. It's why we exist as a church. Because there's an eternal destination after we pass from this life into the next of heaven or hell. And if you think for a second that there's anything on this earth that matters more than that, you are not wise. You're something else. And all of us fall into that foolishness, don't we? All the time. Because what's in front of our face is all about the here and now. God invested so much in eternal life, didn't he? Where's our investment? There are eternal things at stake, eternal life and death. And so how valuable is life? How would you know how valuable you think life is? Well, how much have you invested of your money in life, in saving lives, in producing life? If I am unwilling to sacrifice for the needs of others, then I am ruled by my money. I am owned by my money. If I am unwilling to sacrifice for the cause of saving lives eternally, I miss out on the greatest opportunity I will ever have and probably the reason I have what I have. You may die poor, you may struggle in life financially, but you can still be rich in what matters, no matter how much 
It matters what you do with what you have. So those who are wise save lives. They use their financial resources and exchange them for life. And so today, what I'm asking you is just this. Is there somewhere God's asking you to be generous? Will you respond? To whatever that is, will you respond? And secondly, what do you need to do to think of giving as wise? What's holding you back from seeing it that way, from believing in it? Because it's spoken about, like I said, over and over in the book of Proverbs, through the mouth of Jesus in the New Testament. It's spoken of over and over again as a healthy way to live, as a wise way to live. Will we believe? Will we walk that way? Or will we hold back from what God's asked us to do? We're going to turn our our attention now to communion. And I want to kind of connect this to the generosity of our God. So I'm going to ask you, if you would, to leave your stuff where it is, to find a place around the, the edges of this room, no more than one or two deep where you stand, and then we'll pass the cups around to start. All right, as we make our way to our spots here, like I said, the cups are coming around. If for any reason you would like to observe rather than participate, just let those cups go by. When they are done, wherever they wind up at the end, just set them down on the chairs in front of you, uh, and we will come get them after the service is over. All right, so let me read to you, because I think as we've talked about generosity today, When was the last time you were blown away by how generous God has been to you? I I hope that you get blown away today, right now, in this moment, by how God has given to you so freely. Here's what Titus chapter 3 says. At one time, we too were foolish, disobedient, deceived, and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. But when the kindness and love of our God and Savior appeared, He saved us. Not because of the righteous things we had done, but because of His mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth, the renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that having been justified by His grace, we might become heirs, having the hope of eternal life. Folks, if you're a believer today, if you've trusted Christ as your Savior, how generous has God been towards you? What did you deserve versus what do you have now? And how did you get that? At whose cost? God provided for you. God has shown us generosity beyond description. And so we're not going to try to describe it. We're going to show it. Jesus gave us these symbols and he said, this is bread representing my body. My body will be broken for you. Today, as the the men come around to serve you, they will offer you the bread. In order for you to take it, you'll have to rip a piece off. Be reminded as that 
bread rips in your hands, that Jesus' body was broken for you. Your God is that generous. He said, this is my blood. This, this juice is my blood. Poured out for you. As the juice comes around and you hold your cup, and please hold it still. Don't, it's not a moving target. But as you hold your cup, you'll feel that juice being poured in. Be reminded that Jesus poured his blood for you. Our God is generous, and I hope that if nothing else today, you are blown away by the generosity of our God. But I also hope you're inspired by it to say, I want to be just like my dad. I want to be generous like he is. I want to give to life. I want to meet the needs of people around me, not because they deserve it, but because that's what he would do. And that's what I'm going to do too. So today as we celebrate communion, we'll give thanks, but let's also be challenged to follow this example as we remember him. Gentlemen.